Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird and that's normal. My family moved seven times when I was a kid. Same region, but different house and different neighborhood. And this was kind of fun. New kids to play with, a new bedroom to decorate and organize. We kind of went with the flow, depending on how my dad's business was doing and my parents alternating being in school. Life has been a little bit different for my kid. We have moved less, and one of the reasons for this is the cost of living in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you find a good apartment with good rent, you settle in and hold on tight. We lived in a one-bedroom train car-style apartment until my kid was 11, at which point we decided it was time for everyone to have doors. And believe me, those doors came just in time. Anyway, shelter is a human necessity, and dare I say a right in the U.S. of A., but we don't all want or need the same kind of shelter. So today we're going to talk to two friends who chose to give up that stable shelter and take life on the road. First up is single mom, Jen. Her kiddo did her first three years in public school and then went on homeschool for the next two. Here's why. Because I sold everything we owned and moved us into a van. (laughs) So it was more about your dream for your life versus like educational concerns. It was both, I guess. So I had I was like I would be so great like I really want to homeschool her it would be so great to have that time I wanted more of a like unschooling experience I wanted more of you know traveling and free thinking I wanted her to learn history through actually being in places and so that was part of it the other thing that came up really strongly that was frustrating and and definitely pushed me toward homeschooling was like in kindergarten, I took her out for a week and we went to DC and we spent a week touring DC. We did all of the monuments. We talked about history. It was amazing. And we came back and the school sent me a letter threatening to sue me because she'd missed too many days of school as a kindergartner. And without my permission or even notifying me that they were going to do so, they took her out of lunch and sat her down. She was six years old and read her a policy, an attendance policy, and had her sign it. Oh, my gosh. And then mailed it home to me with her kindergarten (gasps) Rory, like, signature on it. Like, it was an official thing. Oh. And I was livid. Yes. Um... And so that was really like a lot of instances like that over the years with them where I was like, they didn't have a policy for travel. And I was like, she learned more that week than anything you would have taught her. And I get it. And I know all the things behind it. Like as an ex-teacher, I like I know they get paid for the days that kids are in the seats. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's where they need to be most of the time. So I finally decided to just take her out. What kind of adventures did you have? I sold literally everything that we owned other than like five boxes of stuff. We moved into a camper van and we drove around the country for four months, which was not enough time. We should have taken longer. Yeah. Uh, We did 14,000 miles in 30 states. Whoa, 30? Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was crazy. So that's how we started that. And we were doing a social justice project, interviewing people who were homeless and telling their stories online. And so we were doing okay. Where work. can where can we find and listen to those? So they are written. They're all written. Oh, okay, okay. So it was a photography and written stories, and they're on. They're all hosted on the Facebook page. Just say hello tour. Just say hello mm-hmm. tour. Yeah. So we did that, and that was really cool. We had a fair amount of press, and it was fun. It was like a fun project. And it was something that she really never wanted to do. Oh. And was very pushed outside of her comfort zone. Yeah. What was the impetus for doing that project? I was a social worker for years, and I worked with people who were homeless and chronically addicted. And then when I left social work, I started working with a man, Rex Holbein. He started a nonprofit in Seattle called Facing Homelessness. His motto uh, or slogan is just say hello. And so mm-hmm. we, I started doing volunteer work with them and kind of from the ground up helped to launch that nonprofit. And I just really love the work that he was doing. The idea that what we really needed was to get people to drop their judgments and see the human who, who was sitting there. Um, and not all the stories they had about that human was really powerful for me. And I had always had this dream of telling the stories of people who are homeless. Mm-hmm. And and then honestly, one night I read Elizabeth Gilbert's uh, Big Magic. And I had the idea while reading it. And it wouldn't go away. I've like uh-huh. never wanted to live in a camper van. I've never been that person. I'm not a minimalist. I don't want to live in a van. <laughs> and I decided that it was like the universe and like the great muse and sold everything I owned and jumped in a van. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it doesn't sound like you regret it. I don't regret it. I would do it very differently. Okay. What would you do again. differently? Everything. I'd do everything differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would okay. do everything differently. It was a tough experience. We went way too quickly. My schedule was ambitious for an incredibly ambitious person. And so, yeah, I didn't plan enough downtime. I didn't plan enough recovery time. Yeah. I mean, especially with a, what, third grader at that point? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was a lot of things that just didn't get planned out well that made it emotionally challenging. Yeah. So what did you do right? It's a really good question. <laughs> I still love the stories. And I love the experience of seeing that we had of seeing everything. Mm -hmm. You know, there are just some things that she doesn't understand now how special they are. But I do. Mm -hmm. You know, we went to the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia. We saw a Broadway show in New York. We went to Nashville and Mm -hmm. went to the Grand Ole Opry. You know, like these things that are really iconic and important. Important, I think, to experience from a historical standpoint, are really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we definitely learned a lot about each other through the process. Yeah. And she did grow a lot through it. Mm-hmm. Um, fast growth is always painful, and it was painful, but it was a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and I do think that she, I don't know, like there's a certain, this idea that, that all humans are valuable and worthwhile that kind of got drilled into her head that I appreciate that she has now. So we both have only children mm-hmm. and only children can be spoiled. Totally. <laughs> yep. So 
any opportunity to expose her to the fact that she's not the central point of the universe. Mm -hmm. And there's other people that are also important and need your compassion and need your attention. Like all of that is just nothing but value for her. Yeah, absolutely. The thing that we found out later, they didn't know at the time, was she had internalized this really intense fear that we were going to be homeless. Oh. Which made sense because we were, A, kind of homeless uh, in that we were living in a van. Right. Um, And that was meant to be part of the experience. But also, like, I kept saying, like, this is part of my messaging, and this is true. Anyone could be homeless at any time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. (laughs) And and while that that is true. Absolutely. The vast majority of Americans live one paycheck away from a landslide of problems that lead to eviction and lead to homelessness. And and I wanted people to to know that it's not, you know, it's not always the cause of drugs or alcohol or and even when it is, you know, like there's so much pain and suffering and stories behind it. But she definitely did develop this huge narrative around us becoming homeless. And then carried it in fear the whole time oh that we were gone. <laughs> so um, that I was unaware of oh. until the end, really. Yeah. Poor yeah. baby. Yeah. Oh. It's interesting the ways in which, and of course now, I mean, you know, like that one of the things I do now is watch people's stories about things. And it's interesting the ways that she would see things or like develop mm-hmm. a narrative or a story mm-hmm. um, and then hold it. And keep it secret, really. Yeah. So one of the things I'm most grateful about from the tour is that we developed an entire thing when a lot of this came out and a lot of these stories that she'd had, there were more. That was the hardest one. But one of the things that we developed was a shorthand of like, when she's holding things in, I can kind Mm. of tell now. Mm. And I'll call her on it when she doesn't want to tell me. I'm like, this, like, it's going to make it harder, right? Like, if you just tell me then we can work through it. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so I think we developed some trust around that that I hope will be beneficial through yeah. these next however many years until we kick them out of the house. <laughs> what, are we, what are we down to? Six? Seven. Coming up on six. I have definitely said like Rory's going to go one of two ways, but I think that one potential way is that she ends up like in a picket fence house with 2.5 children and a golden retriever. And she's like baking them cookies while she yells at them. You don't know how good you have it. (laughs) My mom (laughs) sold everything we owned when I was eight and moved me into a van. Mm -hmm. Like she used to make me get up at 5am to walk to the top of a mountain for dance parties. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We would sit around the table and cry and talk about our feelings. Aren't you so glad I'm not like that? Like, you uh-huh. know, all of that. Straight up rebellion. Yep. Her her husband's in a button up with the tie. Totally. Bye, honey. Yeah. She's wearing an apron. The whole. A hundred percent. The whole deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Betty Crocker. Today, Bridget is back. You might remember her from the Meet Me in the Chat Room episode where she described her worst online dates. Throughout her childhood, Bridget had a unique living situation that she's going to tell us all about. 
But for a little background, Bridget's parents got married at 19, had her older brother Brian, then Bridget, and finished seven years later with younger brother Gene. They moved around a lot and did so via non-traditional methods. As an example, when she was two or three, they moved from Chicago to Missoula, Montana in a mail truck. To understand this better, here's how Bridget explains her dad. If you can draw a perfect square box and then go about 800 degrees to the right, that's kind of where my dad lives. So he never does anything that's conventional. His mind just doesn't work that way. He looks at efficiencies and he just doesn't care what people think. In Montana, her parents were non-traditional students living in married student housing and they both completed degrees in business. Her dad got a job in radio, and they moved to Birmingham, Alabama, just in time for Bridget to start kindergarten. The mail truck is gone already. Mail truck's gone. So he bought a 66-passenger school bus, took the seats out, put all of our furniture in it, and we moved there. Uh Uh-huh. Easy enough. Uh, We were there for a year. I learned how to raid there. I got made fun of. There were lots and lots of stories. I had nicknames like you would never believe. I was very proud of them. I came home during my first week of school and I said, Mama, Daddy, guess what? All the kids, they have a nickname for me. My parents said, oh, that's odd. What's your nickname? That's so fun. Well, they called me a honky. Well, Bridget, that is, yes. From Alabama, they moved to Colorado, where her dad ran a newspaper. At the end of the school year, they were ready to move on, but not 100% sure where they would land. Her dad had interviews in New Mexico and Idaho, but they couldn't afford to transport the family to all these locations and put them in hotels for a significant amount of time. Ultimately, her dad went back to school, but in the meantime, they ended up on the road. Remember that old school bus? It gets a serious upgrade. Try to picture this. He didn't know what he was going to do, so he decided to convert it into a motorhome. He painted the inside of the 66-passenger school bus. He painted it a beautiful tan color, uh-huh. mm, complete with wood paneling. Uh-huh. But it was just, it was really thin particle board okay that would kind of half separate these rooms if you will all the way back so there was like a small level of privacy you had the walkway that was open all the way back at the front of the bus you had if you walked up the stairs and you looked immediately to the left there was a sink and underneath it was a VCR and a TV um, that was run by a generator in the back of the bus. There was a stove top and a little refrigerator. And then on the right side was a full to a queen size mattress bed, if you will. It was vinyl cover because during the day you'd put pillows on it so that you could kind of, that was kind of like a seating area. Right, right. But then at night it would turn into a bed for my parents. Sure. Then the next section back, Gene, my younger brother was two. Um, He had a crib that was kind of built into the right side of the wall. And then on the left side, it was like some mechanical stuff. Then one section back, we had a guest area. 
It was like another full-size bed. And across from that was the bin. It was like a catch-all. It had a rod. So all of the clothes that hung were there, all of their clothes, shoes, backpacks, like anything that you could possibly store was kind of a storage area, but it was kind of exposed. And then next to that on the right or on the left side was the toilet. And then there was one more wall partition and a bed on each side for Brian and myself. Uh And then you could remove that during the day and it turned into a table. So you could sit around it during the day and then you could, you know, read or do your math or whatever we had to do during the summer. Uh We always had to, we always had things that we would have to add the and subtract the phone book, multiply it, stuff like that, just to kind of keep up with, you know, studies and stuff. They ended up actually back in Colorado for her third grade year. If anybody has ever lived near Greeley, Colorado, oh my God, there's a slaughter factory 60 (gasps) miles from there. And the smell of Greeley was no yes it was wretched that's also the place where I refused time and time again to clean my room sufficiently we lived three doors down from my school Scott School Elementary so one particular day I came home from school and literally all of my bedding and every toy and piece of clothing was on the front lawn And my dad was in the middle of throwing it out as all of the kids were walking by. I was mortified. And he said, well, if you don't respect your stuff enough, I guess I don't either. Mm -hmm. It's trash. And this is where it will be. I was fairly tidy after that. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, Yeah. that was a lesson. After third grade, they spent a summer traveling in the bus and landed in Idaho for fourth grade. It was the only time I went to Catholic school. I begged my parents to go to Catholic school fourth and fifth grade. Um, Why? Why were you into it? I just wanted it. I loved it so much. Uh I loved religion. I would get up and go to church on my own. (laughs) Um, I, oh yeah, it was, it was the best. I got great grades. It was a private school. Uh Um, My mom, she like helped out with the payroll there or something. It was awesome. I loved it. Back on the road again. Um, She landed in Evergreen, Colorado for sixth and seventh grade, where she met her best friend, Aspen. The the whole family was just massively talented. Really, really awesome family. In eighth grade, she ended up back in the Columbine, Colorado area. Now, look, we're missing some chunks of the story. They would have some stops at her uncle's in New Mexico, and they didn't always land in a permanent spot in time to start school at the beginning of the year. But you get the general picture. Then, finally, they stopped in Helena, Colorado. This is where Bridget would start ninth grade and stay through high school. And also, this transition was the most difficult. I had been in softball um, Mm -hmm, over mm -hmm. the summer, Mm -hmm. and I was trying to catch a fly ball in outfield, wrapped my leg around somebody, and broke my ankle. Ooh. And gained about 30 pounds. Oh. I was at my aunt and uncle's house and they allowed candy and sugar and treats and something that my parents never allowed. Uh, it was two extremes. And so I you ended went up, insane. Yep. I sure did. You were just like, Oh, oh my oh, gosh. Oh. It was <laughs> all of the 
Rice Krispie treats and, you know, like anything I could get my hands on. And I didn't understand that not being, because I had always been physically active. I didn't understand what it would do to a 14 year old body or 13 year old body. Yeah. Um, so I showed up at this new school for the first time ever as the fat kid and I wasn't fat, but I, I, I was not thin and I was a tall kid. I was one of the older kids. I, I started uh-huh. school. Um, my parents kept me until I was like one of the older kids. Right. So it was big all the time. And when I was getting registered um, at the office, there was a kid, Rusty Linden. I'll never forget that. That Rusty MF-er. Ugh. Walked in and he was in trouble. And he goes, oh, great, another fat kid. And I had never been called fat. And it devastated me. So that was my big transition. And then I ended up kind of going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. So that's pretty brutal yeah yeah so yep. so what happened you get depressed and that started um my november 1st of turning 14 was the first day i um i think i was watching maury or some show i was home quote unquote sick and i had just eaten like all of my ha- halloween candy and or my brothers or something and i went in the bathroom and stuck a um toothbrush down my throat and that yep. was the beginning of 30 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that's, again, another story for another yeah, day. Yeah, no kidding. Yes, Bridget has battled and managed bulimia since that moment. But as she said, that's a story for another day. Today, we're talking about her childhood on the road. For about seven years, Bridget spent every summer on that bus. The nomad life sounds pretty fun to me, but the logistics of things like laundry and showers was a little tricky. Of course, Bridget's dad got creative. Here's what it was like for little Bridge. My dad would joke that we would stay at some of the finest hotels in the U.S., We wouldn't stay in them. We would stay in the parking lot. He would make friends with the staff, and we would oftentimes be able to throw our laundry in with the hotel laundry. Um, We had to get it done somehow. Oh, my God. The number of times we'd go to the pools that we weren't supposed to be. You know, if anybody asks you, you're in room 312. (laughs) You're in room 2286. (laughs) If you see anybody who looks like they work there, go the other way. That's how we would clean up. I I cleaned up. Sometimes there were sprinklers in a park. I can't tell you how many times I washed my face and brushed my teeth in a Denny's bathroom because it it was you in order to have the running water um, the generator would have to be on and that was kind of a thing it didn't always work it was very loud it Uh was kind of cumbersome so sometimes behind a gas station you know there's a little spigot you know I don't want to put my head under there it's cold you know just stick your head under there you're you're still shampoo (laughs) (laughs) yep water fountains all sorts of stuff. Other than these attempts to stay clean, they did have fun together on the bus with no technology. 
I picture you guys as being so close with all five of you packed into a bus. Oh, we were close. <laughs> so we, we didn't always like each other, <laughs> but we were in close proximity. Yes. Thank God it was a, a time before all of the technology because we talked. We were spoken to as adults. We weren't we were treated as children in so far as play was concerned. We were told to go play and we had to make up games and it was a lot of creativity because we didn't have the means um, for, you know, all the gadgets and doohickeys, but there were long stretches of time that we were on the road. I I went through all of my Ramona books like you wouldn't oh, believe. Yeah. Oh, loved that Ramona. Love them. We would sing. There are so many songs from that time that just immediately will take me back to that Southwest, you know, driving down the road and looking up at my dad. I would sometimes at night when the sun was going down, I um, the, the bottom two stairs on the bus would get really warm. Mm. And so I could fit, kind of snuggle into that little stairway. So I could look to my right and you were looking out the bus doors. So they were windows. And if I looked to my left, you know, there was kind of like this soft backlight and I could see my dad driving, you know, with his giant wheel. He'd be blaring anything from the Eagles to Boz Skaggs to the Beatles. I mean, they were young. So, you know, it was whatever was on the radio too. I know all of the songs from that era, Huey Lewis in the news, you know, I mean, like it was whatever was playing. It's a magical and mystical we went to a lot of drive-ins. <laughs> We'd have to park him back. <laughs> Surprise. Right. Or off to the side. But yeah, we hung out, truly. We'd play games, Yahtzee and Uno, and that's what I knew. Yeah. So. It like, feels magical to me. And it feels safe, like when you talk about like wedging yourself in the wormhole and like looking at your dad, like it feels safe. Did it feel that way to you or were there times where you were like? Oh, no, 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 no. There was no such thing as not. um, I always felt safe. I always felt safe. Mm -hmm. Um, My dad is, he is a force. When he walks into the room, he commands a room he got us into and out of so many situations, mm-hmm. unthinkable situations. Now, I if you asked my mom the same thing, I don't know that she would have the same sure, answer. Sure, but sure, I felt very safe. I do remember one night, I think we had gotten in trouble. We were in a national park or something. And we were trying to, you know, pull off to the side of the road to, to sleep. And a couple of the rangers had come by and they were like, you can't stay here. Mm. So he, my dad had found a service road and it was raining. We started winding up this road and there was a mudslide. Oh. And he could not turn around. Oh. It was very narrow and the road was washing out. I remember kind of the amber lights in back of the bus I could see there was a, a wall next to us from the mountain and then there was just a cliff on the other side and then I heard my mom start yelling <laughs> my babies my babies you get my babies off this bus right now and then there was kind of this 
low talking, talking, because she never raised her voice. They didn't raise their voices. They just didn't. You know, my ears definitely perked up and we had you know, been told to go to bed earlier that night so you couldn't get out of bed, geez. <laughs> but dad said, you know, kids, get up to the front of the bus, right? You know, and so, you know, we were up, <laughs> lickety split and out of the bus and we're standing in the, I think it was still raining and he had to literally make a run for it. I mean, what choice did he have? The, the bus was sliding. Did you lose the bus? We did not lose the bus. What happened? I know. He made a run for it. (laughs) And he got around the corner and he kind of, you know, slid sideways and he just gunned it. I think he over torqued and, you know, kind of like got his way out of it. I mean, he had an incredible amount of driving experience. If you think about it, he spent years on the road in so many different types of situations so um, he knew how to navigate it but there comes a time when somebody else is looking out for you at Mm -hmm. that point you know in some of those situations we were in a few of those Mm -hmm. yeah I have one important question you have to go pee in the bus (laughs) is there a toilet (laughs) okay so and can you use it these are all very valid questions. <laughs> and there was actually an evolution. Trial and error. Yes. So through the entire process, the answer is yes, you could go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Initially for the first, I don't know how long, year or two, or it could have been five. I don't know. This is my kid brain. We hadn't installed a septic tank yet. Uh-huh. So Basically, you would go to the bathroom and then you would have to look behind to towards the back of the bus because it has that one emergency window uh-huh. and you'd have to make sure that there were either A, no vehicles behind you or B, no vehicles that were close enough that would catch the contents no. as you... No. Pushed no. the flush button, stepped on the flush button, and, and then it would be gone. And and it's like one of those things that was like, it's like a train wreck. It's like oh. you, you had to watch it, you know? Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. That was mine. Oh, super gross and what was the worst was when you'd go and there you were in traffic right and then it would just have to sit there right yep. just and it wait. would and it would slosh no yes and sometimes it would get pretty full if you were in a city like right. you'd have to find a parking lot you want know, to be like dump it get rid of it you know go 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 there was a lot of that so you <laughs> So it would just be like Megan family feces just throughout <laughs> the state. But yes, yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, trademarks in, in every state. <laughs> okay. And then my second question about this topic is what is the privacy situation? Like Not- you just have to like shit in front of your family. Well, kind of, because you have those like little partition. Remember the right. you know your the, like little waist high particle, partition. Your like particle board. Mm-hmm. No, it did go the the entire height from the bottom 
of of the floor okay up to the ceiling uh-huh. and it was just cut you know because it was because a bus is kind of rounded at the edges yeah. you know at the top so you know he had to kind of cut along the edges but it did go the entire um height of okay, okay. yeah from from bottom to I top was just, for some reason picturing short walls and you having to just like make eye contact with no. your mom no there was no uh, no and trust me no <laughs> one wanted to be there now i will totally call my little brother out on this one so gene he was like two two and a half you get on a bus and they have the windows where you can take your two index fingers and insert them into a little slot in it you can open a window or close it right Right. but they were kind of at eye level and higher if you're sitting you know kind of they start at your shoulder and they go maybe three inches above your head, uh-huh. right? So total of a, a foot or so. Well, Jean would sometimes get bored and he was learning he was getting potty trained during this time. No. So he learned his own special way of going to the bathroom. We would oftentimes find him. We'd be like, where is Gene? What is he doing? And you'd walk back and he would be standing on the toilet, feet facing backward, looking out the window, pooping, (laughs) just totally going like a small, tiny animal, like Okay, so he's standing on the toilet, looking out the window. Facing backwards with like a huge piece of poop. Like just Is, is the poop also out the window or no, it's just it's, it's, it's dangling it's, down it's into dangling. the toilet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be a dangler for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This it became like, a pretty good aim. Yeah, that's good time. But he was bored. I right, mean, what else 100%. are you going to do? What are you going to yeah, stare at? Right. I got the window behind me. Yeah. Or nothing. So, window. All about window. Absolutely. I want to know how Bridget thinks of these adventures now. How did her time on the bus shape her? That's a great question because I think that shaped a lot of things for me, yeah. um, both good and bad. But uh, I choose at this point to really hone in on the positives of what it brought me on one hand you know I don't know what it feels like to have roots I don't know what it feels like to grow up in a house and and have things right but you you throw me to the wolves you throw me into any situation into a room and I will pick up on people's interests and who they are and quickly be able to assess and determine what their need is or who they are Mm -hmm. in in Mm -hmm. in a way enough to where I can be conversational for sure but also it's it's really helped me with leading teams with being able to hire people who are and not be afraid of um of being with people who are very different from me who think differently than me it allows me to be okay with nobody likes feeling uncomfortable and change is uncomfortable and growth is uncomfortable, but I have that resource, that toolbox that I can reach into and become that person again that just understands 
hey, it's all an experience. Right. You know, we're, we're, we're here. We've got one chance to do this. And so when I get into places like I am today, where I'm like, yay, I'm fun employed, but I'm afraid to take that step forward. That's when I really need to dig into that toolbox Mm -hmm. and to say, Mm -hmm. all right, but you've been here before and you've done this before Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. can do it again. And you know what? There's no such thing as failing. And if you do, you're just failing forward. Mm -hmm. But the only way that you're you're not going to grow and you're going to regret is if you don't do anything Mm -hmm. so just take the step forward just do something i told bridget that i often think about relocating but i worry about my kid about leaving the safe community they've known and thrusting them into uncomfortable situations She reminded me that kids are resilient and that it's all about how parents package a move. You know, growth opportunity for her. And here's the thing. It's hard. So remember that time that you asked me if I ever felt unsafe? Mm -hmm. You, as the parent, you are in the driver's seat. It absolutely 100% matters and really only matters how you package it. Mm -hmm. If you can make this about you guys. It can't be about her. That's not true, right? And she'll see through it. We wanted to make this move, but we wanted to make sure you were going to be okay. Well, it's not up to her, yeah. right? And she's going to be okay. That's the the brilliant thing about kids is they're resilient. If it's something that you guys want to do, then she will too, if you can package it. Right. You know, what's important to her? Is right. it her bedroom? Is it the fact that she's going to be within walking distance to school? Is it that there's going to be uh, gymnastics around the corner? Whatever yeah, yeah. it is, right, um, right. you know, you, you find those benefits and let her know that she is part of this and that mm-hmm. this is a family consideration for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just get excited and you move forward with it. Yeah. And you're honest and you let her know that, hey, it can be scary, but I think one of the biggest things that that resonated with me, because I I had a couple of struggles, you know, when when I moved into a couple of my schools, <laughs> what was really cool was that, again, dad, sales guy, he sat me down and he would say, here's the really, really cool thing. Remember that time in fifth grade when you were taking your history class and you farted? <laughs> And everyone heard it, and you were mortified. Yeah, Dad, thanks for bringing it up. Nobody at this new school knows that you farted. (laughs) Nobody. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows that you got into a fight with Renee, the most popular girl in the school. Nobody knows that you, you know, tripped up the stairs and your dress, you know, flew up, and you get to reinvent yourself if you choose to you get to be whoever you want at this new school you get a fresh start and how many people can say that Mm -hmm. that is amazing (laughs) clean slate no farts (laughs) fart free fart free (laughs) absolutely (laughs) no farts on your record
So what's amazing about this story is that you love your parents Mm -hmm. still. Absolutely. They're the best. What about your brothers? (sighs) Yes, absolutely. We don't have to put it on the podcast if you hate them. No, I love them so much. They're the best. That's good. Yeah. So you're the middle middle child. Yes. Do you have middle child syndrome? One million percent. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so the, the good thing, I guess the only saving grace that I can say is that a, I was the only girl, right? So you got some special things. I got some special things because you were a girl. Yeah. And my parents absolutely refused to treat any of us differently. At least I can say for myself, I never felt it. There was never favoritism and we would absolutely try and corner them with our our mind games. Um, <laughs> we would, you know, okay, so you're in a house. It's burning. It's on fire. You can take mom out and the dog and one child. <laughs> Who do you take? <laughs> and he, I mean, like, inevitably, you know, you'd think, oh, I'm going to get him this. Time. Okay, so you're in a raging river. Right. And... And we've all been swept away. And every single time, it would always come back to the same answer with my parents. And they'd say, we would drown all of you, but we'd make sure we keep the other one. You know, I'd keep your mom. I'd keep your dad. Because together, we can make more of you. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. We're just not going to win here, are we? Wow. There's smart i know smart i know rude <sighs> just say me <laughs> it's me damn it So much has changed since this episode aired in 2020, while California was sheltering in place. Over the past couple of years, families have made big changes, pulling kids out of traditional school, incorporating more travel as parents quit jobs or moved to working remotely or started their own business. Families have looked at their lifestyle and questioned the validity of it. Is this what we want? And of course, some of these decisions require financial resources or are not really a decision at all due to financial crisis. But many just require out-of-the-box thinking like Bridget's dad. He said, we can reinvent ourselves, have a clean slate. We can start fart-free. (laughs) 